Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Well, good morning and welcome to Horizon West Church Online. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our series called No Fear. Uh, We want you to know that in these uncertain times, you can be fearless through faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, let me begin by sharing with you that my family uh, loves watching movies together. As you can imagine, because I have three young children, these are often children's movies. And my favorite kids series is Toy Story. Probably many of you would say the same. Uh, In fact, I know some of you are just joining and some will be joining in the coming seconds and minutes. So as we're all kind of getting in the room together, as it were, would you let us know in the comments, which of you, the, the three or rather the four now Toy Story movies is your favorite? I can tell you for me that my favorite Toy Story movie is Toy Story 3. And the reason is that there's a scene at the end of Toy Story 3, and just to warn you, I'm going to kind of spoil the movie if you haven't seen it, but there's a scene at the end of Toy Story 3 where the toys are in a garbage chute and they are headed toward their peril. And one by one, those toys begin to grab hands with each other. Woody is the last holdout, still trying to save the day, and even he eventually realizes he can't do it. And so they all grab hands and they're plummeting toward a fire that's certain to be their doom. I gotta tell you, the first time I watched this movie, I found myself getting incredibly emotional and choked up as I'm watching animated toys face a dangerous situation. But don't judge me, you had the same reaction. Now when I watch the movie, I don't get quite as worked up. And there's a reason. When I watch the movie now, I think to myself, I've seen this movie before. I I know how this ends. As we face this thing called the coronavirus or COVID-19, I know in some ways it's something we've never seen before. And yet there's a part of me that thinks to myself, I've seen this movie before. Now it might've had a different title. It might've been called the NICU or cancer or loss or financial hardship. But I think to myself, I've seen this story arc. I've seen where this goes and I see how this is going to end. I've watched this movie before. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30 today. I want to invite you to join with me. The Apostle Paul writing says these words, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I don't know how your marriage works, but I can tell you that in my marriage, uh, my wife and I sometimes get into arguments. Now, when we did the TikTok challenge, some of you have seen that and participated in it. Uh, When the question comes, which of you is more stubborn? We both, with our eyes closed, point at each other which tells you we're probably both fairly stubborn, which is true. And because we're stubborn people, both of us like to have the last word in an argument. I got to tell you, it's so hard to just walk away and let your spouse have the last word. What you need to know today, if I was to summarize Romans 28, uh, rather Romans 8, verse 28, it's this. Suffering will have its moment 
but hang in there because it does not get the last word. Now, these are familiar and popular verses among Christians, and that's a great thing, but one of the problems with popular verses is they sometimes get hijacked and taken out of context and ultimately misunderstood and misappropriated. So I want to spend a significant amount of time this morning talking about what Paul doesn't say in these verses, and I believe by the time we get to the end of what Paul isn't saying, it will start to become clear what he is saying. First thing Paul doesn't say in these verses he does not say all things are good. A little boy in a Sunday school class was sitting quietly listening to his teacher and she asked the question, class, uh, what is gray and, and small and has a bushy tail and likes to eat nuts? And kids sat silently for a second and then one sheepishly raised his hand and said, I'm sure the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. There's an expression, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, you know the ending. It's probably a duck. Friends, if things look bad, like war and famine and earthquakes and hurricanes and yes, even global pandemic, they're probably bad things. Paul isn't saying that all things are good. And Christians don't get through hard times by pretending bad is good, but rather by trusting the one who is good no matter how bad things get. Secondly, Paul does not say that all things are caused by God. Now, I need to tell you that God does cause bad things to happen sometimes. I'll, I'll get to the reason why in a second. I'm going to leave you there for a second. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse uh, 13. Let, listen to what it says, Second Chronicles 7, 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, comma, pause. We'll come back to that in a moment. In each of these instances, God is using active verbs like command, shut up, send, and he's attributing them back to himself. Sometimes God, God causes bad things. But oftentimes, and I would say probably more often than not, bad things in our world and our, in our lives stem from one of three sources that are not God. First, oftentimes bad things stem from our own personal sin. Several years ago, I was a youth pastor at a small church and I was on a late night phone call with a buddy that got me super heated up and angry to the point where I actually wanted to fight him. And as I made my way back inside my house, the door was closed and I reared back and punched the thing with all of my might and my hand shattered. Unfortunately, it was a Saturday night and I had to lead worship the next morning with a broken hand. Now, what would have made no sense would be for me to say, God, why did you allow this bad thing to happen? Why did you allow my hand to break? No, my hand broke as a natural effect of the cause of punching a door. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says like this. In fact, I'm going to turn there. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sowing, reaping, cause and effect. Oftentimes bad things in our world come because we have made bad decisions. Secondly, sometimes bad things come into our life or into our world because of the evil one, or maybe more commonly known, the devil. Jesus in John chapter 10 verse 10 said, the thief, referring to Satan, 
The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Translation, the enemy of our souls has come to do bad things to us and against us. Now he needs permission. We we know from the Old Testament, the, the story of Job, that the devil came to God and asked permission to test Job in order that he might do bad things to him. So in one sense, we could say that all evil or all bad stems back to the devil or Satan, but as a direct result, this is probably the least common. It's probably least likely that Satan, who is not omnipresent, who can only be one place at one time, is tormenting your soul day and night. Again, he's behind it, but it's probably the least common of the three sources. The third source of bad things, and I believe the most common source, is the fact that we live in a fallen world. We know that in the early and first pages of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, God created a world that was perfect and humanity perfectly enjoyed him in it. But then we get to Genesis 3 and there is the fall of humanity, the fall of mankind, and the moment that the fall happens, everything in the world begins to die. Did you ever notice that you don't have to go out into your yard and make your grass die? It does it naturally. You have to work to keep it alive. Several years ago when my mom was dying of breast cancer, some friends of ours came and sat down with her and they said, Pam, uh, we, we think we've heard from the Lord and, and if you were living righteously, if you were praying more, if you had greater faith, this cancer would be taken from you. These friends who love the Lord unfortunately misunderstood all of these things and were attributing all evil to personal sin. The reality in the situation was that it was not a result of personal sin, but rather a result of living in a fallen world. Both sinners and saints, both the, the Hitlers of the world and the Mother Teresas of the world, unfortunately die. It's inevitable because we live in a fallen world. And we need to be careful not to attribute events like cancer or hurricanes or global pandemic to individual sin of people or organizations or nations. In fact, Jesus talks about this in in, uh, two ways in scripture, Luke 13, verse four. I won't take the time to turn there, but Jesus is referring to these 18 people in his day who had had a tower fall on them and it killed them. And the people of Jesus' day were assuming, well, these must have been worse sinners because God judged them. And Jesus says to them, in fact, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? In other words, they didn't die because of their personal sin. They died because they live in a world where tragic and bad things happen. Again, in John chapter nine, verses one through three, let me quickly turn there as well. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? But Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Notice the reason Jesus gives for this bad circumstance, blindness that's in the life of this man. He says the reason, it's not personal sin. It's that the works of God might be displayed in him. What you need to know this morning is that every circumstance in your life, whether good or bad, whether caused by God or merely allowed by him, is an opportunity for the works of God to be displayed in you. Third and final thing that Paul isn't saying in this passage, he's not saying that all things work together for the good of all people. Look again at Romans 8, 28. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That phrase, called according to his purpose, means that Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit's saying through Paul, that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a believer in Christ and the good news of the gospel, that for you, all things are working together for good. But it is not a promise that that is true for all people. Earlier this week, my kids and I were doing morning devotions and we were talking about potter and clay. Uh, One of the Old and New Testament metaphors for the way that God works with his people is that of a potter fashioning something out of a lump of clay. And the truth is, as we talked about that, it became clear, you know, only the clay that subjects itself to the potter is going to be molded to be what the potter intends it to be. It has to submit to the spinning wheel and the skilled hands of the potter. And if it will do that, it will ultimately become the useful and purposeful thing for which it was meant to be. This promise of God working for good is for believers in Jesus. Now, as we have all seen over social media and on the news and various conversations, people are responding to this COVID-19, this coronavirus in a lot of different ways. Some are dismissive. It's just, they think it's a hoax or it's maybe just not even a big deal. Others are panicking and buying everything they can possibly buy and, 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 and shutting themselves away, not even having contact with their own family members Others are becoming hyper-focused on natural solutions. We've got to find a, a cure. We've got to find a solution. And it's not bad to look for solutions, and I pray to God we find one. But my question is, how should a Christian respond to these events? Let me go back one more time to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Again, we saw that God said to the people of Israel at that time, that if I'm doing things like sending pestilence or, or allowing plagues in the land, here, here's what it says in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Most important words in that verse, I believe, are the beginning. If my people. See, God will use bad things to bring his people to good outcomes. He he does this as we pray, as we seek his face, as we turn away from sin and selfishness. What's happening is we're uh, becoming more like Christ. We're we're experiencing more of the glory of God. It's not sadistic. It's not hurtful. It's not hateful. It's God helping us to experience the ultimate good. So let's close by talking about what Paul is saying in these verses. I want to look at three expressions or three phrases in the passage. First is the phrase, all things. And yes, all things means broken relationships, financial crises, prodigal children, pandemics, all things. See, friends, the possibility for redemption is not determined by the degree of the evil, but by the decree of God. God has determined that all of these bad things are working together as a process to bring something far better than we could imagine. Not only all things, but all things work together. Now, I am not a uh, chef or a baker, but I am going to try to demonstrate to you what it looks like when things work together for good. Here I have, I believe, three cups of flour. I'm going to dump this into a bowl. Some of you know where I'm going with this. We're going to take a cup of brown sugar. We're going to take a cup of white sugar. I'm not sure if the order matters, but stick with me for a second. We're going to take some salt, some baking soda, 
some vanilla extract, and yes, I did measure these, some water. We gotta put a couple eggs in it. And finally, what we all love, I gotta put the chocolate chips in it. Now, most of these ingredients, I would not enjoy consuming on their own. I've never popped two eggs and just wanted to eat them. I've never taken vanilla extract, although I almost did accidentally a moment ago, and drank it. And yet, when those ingredients work together, and they're submitted to intense and sustained heat over a period of time, we get chocolate chip cookies. Now, I don't know if these chocolate chip cookies will turn out because I'm not very good at making them, but I do know that our Heavenly Father is really good at making good things out of bad things. And if we will, church friends and believers, if we will submit ourselves to the intense heat that sometimes comes with living in a fallen world, and the suffering and the hardship, and yes, the bad things that happen, we will ultimately see the good and the glory of God prevail. And finally, Paul uses this phrase for good. He he is not talking simply about physical and temporal good. See, I think the problem with the prosperity gospel is that their God isn't quite good enough. The God of the prosperity gospel seems so focused on here and now and curing everything and fixing everything here and now, but the living God is always more concerned about what is eternal than what is temporal. And that is the end that God is working toward our good in. Finally, notice Paul's focus in verses 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those God uh, predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Could it be that if nothing else, this moment in history reminds us that our hope is not in this life, but that it's in the life to come? Paul's going to say, Christian, when you look at your past, what we're going to see is that you were loved and chosen by God. And when we look toward your future, what God is doing, we're going to see that you're still loved and chosen by God. And when we look at your present, what we're going to see is, yes, hardship, yes, uncertainty, yes, trying times, and yet that you are loved and chosen by God. I came across a illustration from Ravi Zacharias, great uh, theologian and apologist, wrote a book called The Grand Weaver. And in this book, he tells the story of walking through the streets of India and seeing father-son teams making saris. Uh, My daughters were in a wedding in October where uh, the bride and the the flower girls and the bridesmaids all wore saris, traditional uh, dress of that part of the world. And and he said, Ravi said, as he was walking through the streets, watching these father-son teams making saris, he noticed something. He noticed that the sons, the way they were facing uh, the, the tapestry that was being made, the way they were facing it, they couldn't see the pattern. All they were doing was listening to the instructions of the father and they would weave something through and the father would take it and send it back. And, and what it looked like from the child's vantage point, from the son's vantage point, it looked chaotic and messy and perhaps even ugly. And yet from the father's vantage point, he was sewing a beautiful garment that he could see and that he had purposed and intended. Now you may not realize what today is. You probably know it's Sunday, although all the days are running together now. So if you didn't know, it is Sunday. But not only is it Sunday, today is Palm Sunday. 
And Palm Sunday on the Christian calendar is the day that we remember when the crowds welcomed Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And it's called Palm Sunday because they laid palm branches on the ground in front of him. And they shouted over and over, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But you probably also know that just five days later on that Friday, the crowds were shouting something very different. Not Hosanna, 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 but rather crucify, crucify, crucify. Could there ever have been a worse moment in human history than when the son of God was stripped naked and laid out on a Roman cross to be crucified? And yet we know that it was at exactly that moment that the ingredients in the recipe for redemption were put together in such a way that our salvation was born. I want to do something with you as we close this morning. You may have heard Reed mention it earlier before we began, but I want to take the Lord's Supper with you. And as Reed said earlier, you don't necessarily need grape juice and saltine crackers. You can take any crackers or bread or liquid that's in your house. But the reason we as Christians observe the Lord's Supper is because on the night Jesus was betrayed into the hands of sinners, he said to the disciples, take and eat this bread, which is my body. And whenever you do it, whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so I want to invite you, take something in your house, a cracker, a piece of bread, break it. And as a family, as a couple, or maybe just you as an individual, take and eat, remembering the body of Jesus. After he had given them the bread, he took juice and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So as you drink, remember the blood of Jesus. Friends, that is our faith. That is what we rest in, not a cracker and some juice, but rather in the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken, that was poured out for us. And the greatest day on the Christian calendar, you need to know is coming next Sunday, Easter Sunday. And it's so weird to me, you guys, as a pastor, to think that we're not going to get to be in person and and hugging and high-fiving and celebrating the resurrection together, but we are going to be together online. We are going to be celebrating together the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. Because the resurrection reminds us that the darkest moment in history was followed by the most glorious. Death does not have the final word. Life does. And so I want to invite you next week and all throughout this week. Invite friends to join us, not in person, but online. Let them know there's a service coming at them at 1130 or or maybe you attend another church. Invite them to your church's stream next Sunday, Easter Sunday. Let's, Let's see thousands of people engage in watching Easter services online. And another thing I want to invite you to do next Sunday, because it's Easter Sunday, maybe you switch it up. And maybe rather than being in pajamas or or in your casual clothes, maybe you take it up a notch and maybe you get dressed up in your Easter best. Maybe you put on that dress, you put on that suit, you get that tie on, whatever it is. You don't need to feel obligated to that. But how cool would it be to start seeing pictures posted celebrating Easter and we're dressed up and we're in our living rooms or we're at our workplaces or the dining room table, but we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus together. We look forward to doing that with you next week. As we close, I just want to offer a simple prayer for you and for your families. Let me do that now. God, we thank you for sending Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. And God, in these difficult and dark times, we are pleading for your mercy. We're thankful that you are the God who's in control, that you're making good things out of what is bad. 
And Lord, for every person, every couple, every family member that's watching right now, that's praying with me as I pray, God, would you bless them? Would you bless their families? Would you increase our faith? Would you cause us to run to Jesus in these moments? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.